says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. It's our uh, sort of end of week NRL news and World Cup, uh, World Cup roundup is the word I'm looking for there. So let's get the boys in and start talking some football. News team, assemble! And of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Tip Sheet without 60s. How you doing, big fella? Mate, it's good to be a rugby league supporter right now because we've got not only the World Cup happening, but pre-season training is just about just to around the corner. Yeah, we're recording on yeah. November the 5th and on November the 7th, we see the first of the uh, reconvening of the NRL squad and the sort of talented and elite juniors that will help uh, train with them in the preseason. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd time, isn't it, to have... The football really at the business end in the World Cup and at the same time, the players that are back in Australia are commencing their preps for the 2023 season. Yes, sir. And while pre-season is just around the corner, it's award season in the NRL and beyond. And that includes the media. Joining us is one of those award winners in Spiro. How are you doing, mate? We've got to talk about something there. Ah, thanks, guys. Great to be joining you. And apologies for last week. Uh, I was snowed under, but glad I can be joining you again. And, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a, a whirlwind week. Haven't stopped, been super busy, but, um, yeah, really honoured and really blessed. Well, let's talk about that because you come back to the tip sheet as a now a highly decorated member of the media after picking up an ACRA Best Newcomer off-air for your work in the Ben Fordham Live Show as well as your work with the Wide World of Sports. And they didn't say it, but clearly they also meant the tip sheet as well. But, oh, of course. <laughs> but that, that is a hell of a way to start your career in the media, mate. How are you feeling about it? Uh, yeah, as I said, I'm pumped, honoured, blessed. And it was, it was a really nice reward because, you know, over the last couple of years, I've sacrificed a lot. I've worked Friday nights. I've worked Saturday mm-hmm. nights. I've, uh, you know, worked weeknights. You know, at times probably, you know, sacrificed my social life a little bit and, and travelling and being able to really enjoy, uh, you know, going out and whatever. But it's been all worth it. You know, when you pick up recognitions like this and you set yourself up for a career in the media, which is really difficult to get into, it's, um, it's worth it. And the accolades are really nice. And, and what I've enjoyed most about the week is just hearing from people that are, you know, close to me and that are, have been great supporters along the way. I've spoken to teachers of mine, school teachers that I had back, uh, you know, in primary school and um, family friends and family members and relatives from overseas and from across the world and supporters in Papua New Guinea who I've called rugby league mm-hmm. with and uh, and people from the US, people from Greece, family and, and, you know, more importantly, people close to home, school friends, family friends, cousins, relatives, uh, you know, people that I've had stuff to do with like yourselves and it's, it's a great honour. As I said, it's a great, great achievement and uh, the hard work continues as you guys know. Um, straight back to work. I think, you know, the night after the awards ceremony, <laughs> I was straight back into it. And that's the reality because the grind never ends. And, you know, you'd think that this time you would be quiet because footy off season, but it's been a really busy, hectic few weeks. So enjoying uh, getting back into the grind of things. Well, mate, we're really happy to have you uh, after after the week off last week. We're happy to have you back with the, mm-hmm. the tip sheet. It's been a... Um, as I've said to you a number of times, we've had terrific feedback from our listeners about your involvement with our podcast during the year. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate your contributions, mate. It's uh, much appreciated. No, I've enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, you guys deserve deserve some of the credit because you've given me an opportunity to speak to the listeners of the Cumberland Throw. You know, go back 12 months, I was a listener of this wonderful podcast and, and, and a reader of the wonderful website that you guys put together. And to, to be part of it and to uh, be involved in the capacity that I am now on a weekly basis, chatting rugby league, it's a dream come true and it's a great honour and I appreciate your guys' support and uh, all the listeners' support and giving me the chance to, to chat footy each and every week. Well, look, there's, this is where we can actually talk about 
the uh, positive aspects of social media because a few uh, between, just to, yeah, just to, big one, to yeah. backtrack for our listeners, uh, the way Spiro came to be involved with uh, Cumberland Throw was that I happened to be listening to 2GB when Spiro was doing uh, the NRL launch. We're talking to the NRL captains at the start of the year and he was talking to Clint Gutherson. I caught that on the radio and I'm, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I know Spiro's name from outside of the radio, and I said, "I'm," and I thought to myself, "I'm sure that Spiro is one of the followers on Instagram." That um, and and sure enough, he was. I, I sent Spiro a message, congratulated him on his work, and uh, and it all basically came from there with um, uh, with our communication, and then we started to look at is there is there a, a, a a way that we can uh, be involved together with the podcast, and that's that's basically where it's it's gone from there. So, mate, it's um, look, it, it is an honour for us that we've been a part of this year for you, and 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 um, and to have you involved with the Cumberland Throw because, as our many listeners have said, it's it, yours has been a wonderful addition to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do, it's um, you provide some terrific insights and ex- exclusives for us, and we couldn't be happier, mate. So uh, yeah, thanks again. No, appreciate your support, and it's uh, yeah, it's been an awesome year. And, and reflecting on everything, I mean, it's been fantastic from all points of view, especially a Parramatta point of view, and and being able to uh, be part of you know a grand final build up and and be appearing on the pod has been great. So thank you guys for everything. And uh, on that point of note, let's start talking some footy boys because we've got the RLWC round free wrap up as well as well. We're going to preview the quarterfinals, but unfortunately, due to schedule, we're going to do a review of the first fi- uh, quarterfinal, then a preview of the other three, and then we'll talk some other stuff beyond that. Let's go through round free results. Uh, the Kiwis <clears throat> too good for the Fighting Irish, forty-eight to ten. Uh, England ninety-four to Greece four, and that's going to be a theme for this round, boys. Is the blowout. Uh, Fiji and Scotland played a relatively close game, 30-14, to 14, but Australia too good for the Azuri, 66-6. Lebanon put the cleanest through Jamaica, 74-12. to 12. Ma, The Mate Ma'a Tonga with the biggest scoreline, oh no, England technically bigger, sorry, but one of the biggest scorelines of the week, 92-10 to 10 over the Cook Islands. Samoa flexing their strength over the French, 62-4. to 4. And then Papua New Guinea with the shutout of Wales, 36-0. It looked like all the sort of the title contenders, the, the World Cup contenders, flexing their heavyweight status this week after questions being put to both Tonga and Samoa. They proved that they can, you know, put down the score with uh, the rest of the sort of tier one countries while New Zealand and Australia and England are reminding the world they are probably the, the ones to chase. No huge surprises. I mean, expected results, but just uh, pinpointing and circling a couple of key results. Um, you know, Lebanon, a dominant win against Jamaica. Credit to Jamaica, though. They scored two tries, and to see the emotion and the passion and the way they fought in that second half particularly was admirable. And I think that's been the theme of this World Cup, seeing more the minnow nations get a bit of recognition, be on the world stage, and get an opportunity to show what rugby league means to them. And although we saw blowouts uh, like, you know, 74-12 Lebanon defeating Jamaica and even Greece uh, or England defeating Greece 94 points to four, the fact that these lower-tiered nations are appearing on the world stage is great for the international game. I disagree with a lot of people out there that say it's actually bad for the international game because you're giving them exposure and you're giving them practice. And I think we should maybe look at the way that it is structured, the World Cup, from next uh, from the next World Cup onwards, uh, 2025 in France. Maybe we should put all the minnows in one pool and uh, maybe they play against each other to make it a bit more competitive rather than you know, pinning up England, uh, you know, a tier one nation up against a, a, a new emerging nation in Greece, if you know what I mean. So maybe they need to review that. But right. I, I've really enjoyed seeing these nations on the world stage. Um, just one other result, which I was a little bit surprised about, Mate Matonga 92 over Cook Islands 10. Now, that was a shock because I actually thought it'd be a much closer yes. game considering the first graders at the Cook Islands having their side and former NRL players, you know, in... Uh, in Brad Takarangi, uh, as an example, and Eastern Masters, I thought it'd be a lot tighter. But Mate Matonga, they flexed their muscles and they showed that they mean business heading into the, the final stages of the competition. They're undefeated. And, uh, wow, what a game. We'll preview it. Samoa v Tonga. That'll be an absolute blockbuster. Probably the highlight of the quarterfinals. But 
we saw that they are a, a really dominant team. Will Penasini was brilliant. I think he mm. – did he win the player of the match? or I, I don't know if he did, but he scored four tries. So, you know, an excellent chairman. And Isaiah Katoa converting 14 from 16. He's going to be a bit of a revelation at the, at the Dolphins in season 2023. Well, he was a high-profile pickup from the start, wasn't he? The one that sort of everyone was talking about as one to watch down the future, but they weren't sure when he'd be a factor – for their NRL team, this World Cup showing it might be sooner rather than later. He'll be great. He'll be fantastic. And, you know, he scored, uh, I believe, one try in that match, converted, as I said, 14 from 16. And he is a great emerging player. Now, he comes from a rugby union background, played through school, Barker College, in the first 15 from about year nine or year 10. So he's been identified as a talent for a very long time now. But for him to get his chance next year at first grade, probably going to pair, I think, that they should have him with Sean O'Sullivan in the halves. Anthony Milford maybe plays a bit more of the utility, a, a 14, a bench role. But I think you should be blooding this Isaiah Katoa because he could very well be one of the marquee players at the Dolphins next year. So that's another thing I've loved about this World Cup. We've seen players like Isaiah Katoa from a Parramatta point of view, Eliel Zakim. I know you guys have watched a lot of him. But for someone like me that hasn't seen a lot of Eliel Zakim, haven't watched too much reserve grade, he is proving himself to be someone that will be a, a first grader. Maybe not full-time next year. He might get a couple of games under his belt, but he's a, a talent for the future as well. And, that, and that's a bonus about the World Cup. You see these players on the world stage being able to prove what they're all about and, and show what they're capable of uh, you know, to such a huge audience. Yeah, he, Ellie was someone that I thought if the circumstances were right, he might get a a debut run in, in this season just gone but he, it's it's one of those one of those positions at the eels where i think you have to have the right circumstance for a, a debut to happen we saw that at the end of the uh, 2021 season where the last round match against the panthers was uh, basically was going to have no bearing on where Parramatta finished the season so uh, BA was able to rest players and to and to give a number of players their debut. Probably, if he was in the bubble in Queensland in uh, in the twenty end of the twenty twenty one season, that might have been his opportunity to uh, have his NRL debut. Uh, he's one to keep an eye on. I'm not sure what his status is with the club going forward, but uh, he's been one that, yes, as you mentioned, we've we've certainly had. Our, our eyes on for uh, a couple of years now. He's he hasn't had the straightest path um, through um, through the junior pathways systems. I think he's even spent time at um, uh, some other clubs uh, in in his pathways. He actually was a Parramatta junior, and I think he was with the. Um, I'm trying to think was it of West what Tigers it was or Bulldogs. Called. Sorry, West Tigers or Bulldogs? Because it was yeah, no, there was. There, I, I think he was also with that. Um, uh, the I'm trying to think what what it was called. The Western, Western Sydney, Sydney Academy. Academy, yes, yeah. I, I've I've got a feeling he was with the Western Sydney Academy at one stage. So um, yeah, he's he's done well to get himself to this international level and to be on the fringe of NRL football. Look, I think he is an NRL footballer, whether it's at the Eels or or elsewhere. I'm not sure. So at the conclusion of three regular rounds, boys, across the four pools, this is how I lined up. England winning three from three. They've got a positive differential of 168. Their top of Group A, Samoa, who lost to England in that first round. They come in second, two wins, one loss, plus 72. France will finish third with just the one win, minus 64 and against. With Greece, no wins, but they didn't do themselves any shame. A negative 180 differential, but it's not to be uh, shocked given that was one of the stronger pools there. France being a pretty solid team there as the other sort of minnow nation. In Group B, Australia, they finished on top. Three wins, plus 178. Then they were followed by Fiji, two wins. Italy, one win. And Scotland, zero wins. In Group C, the Kiwis, they're the prime finishers there. Three wins, plus 122. Lebanon, who are probably the best of the uh, smaller nations, two wins, plus 58. And they actually uh, acquitted themselves quite well against New Zealand in the regular rounds. They were followed by Ireland for the one win. Jamaica, zero wins. Group D, which is probably the most open group when we looked at it initially, the Matemaa Tonga, they finished on top undefeated, plus 114 differential. Papua New Guinea, they were in second place with two wins, plus 46 differential. Cook Islands, 
Third place with a one win, negative 92. And Wales, zero wins, but negative 68 differential. So they actually did okay when it came to keeping the scoreline in check. And just looking at these pools, boys, and we sort of were talking about how the minnows being in this thing is not a, in this tournament is not a bad thing. I was just thinking their season, though their season, their campaign is now done. But what was if the Rugby League World Cup sort of took a page from the Hong Kong Sevens and instead of just being for the cup itself for England, Australia, New Zealand, maybe Tonga and Samoa if they, you know, if they can keep developing, what happens if there was also a shield and a bowl for these lesser teams that could go on to then play their own sort of post group stage finals? I'd love to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I I I agree there. And if you had a um a goal with that. So, for example, the top eight teams automatically qualify for the next World Cup. But if you had another two places for automatic qualifications for um, for the final that was played for the uh, between the two non-qualifying teams, so if there was another set of quarterfinals, so they maybe don't need to have like a cup and a bowl, but a like the second tier mm-hmm. of uh, competition. Um, from the teams that don't make the quarterfinals. So they have their own set of quarterfinals. And going through to the teams that make their final also get automatic qualification. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good reward for pushing through into that lower lower bracket finals. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it and it gives them a goal to work towards it. You know, like if they know that they're that they're qualifying for the next World Cup maybe they can take their game to the next level in terms of the development work that they do in in getting there it's uh, they they'd already have the the profile of being qualified for the next world cup within their nation so um yeah it, it, that'd be interesting and you know what i think there'd be a lot of interest in that so um, arguably there'd be as much interest cuz some of these minnow nations you look at lebanon france uh Beyond that, Ireland have got a bit of potential too. The Cook Islands as well. There's some, you know, quite reasonable outfits here. And in particular in the Cedars case, they they played some great football. And it's such a shame to – I know they end up qualifying in the quarters, but the fact that, you know, a team like that can just get the one game potentially only outside the group stage, if they have another sort of lower bracket final to play through, uh, you know, that's a lot more fun football to watch as a fan. Yeah, well, look, I think it's something for them to, to keep in mind because um, – I think there'd be a lot of interest in, and, and you know, maybe they could stage it as like a, um, you know, like a festival of rugby league day mm-hmm. where they play all of the, um, all of the four matches for the 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 teams that don't qualify for the quarterfinals. Um, stage that at one venue on the one day, you know, that, uh, sort of like the um, the um, what's it called the, the magic ground, magic ground, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I agree. I agree. And when you consider that this week as well, it's been a bit light on. You, your group stage sort of wrapped up Monday morning our time. And then there, there was, you know, women's rugby league, which has been great, uh, and also the wheelchair. But I, I feel that this week they probably should have allowed those Mino Nations to have one more game. You should have put, you know, Wales and Jamaica and Scotland and Greece, you know, pin them up against each other and France, Italy, Ireland, uh, Cook Islands. And, and just for a bit of entertaining football and how they do in some tournaments like the rugby union world cup when the teams don't qualify for the finals they still play for placing so maybe that could be something that they look at as well because when you go all that way uh, and you spend all this time away from your family and you're in a camp you don't want it to go to waste you you want them to play as many games as possible three games is great but if they can play a, a fourth or fifth then it makes it a bit more worth worth their while Yep. Now, fellas, do we take anything out of Australia's win over Lebanon? I thought we were. I thought we yeah. were a little bit too scrappy. Forty-eight to four. I think the the biggest note is that Josh Adokar almost needed a second hand to count his individual tries. He bagged fiver. Uh, Latrell, Cam Murray for double, and then Liam Martin adding the final try in the 68th minute. Cleary six for nine from the tee. Uh, Mansour did score for the Cedars, but I, I tend to agree with you. Sixties. Uh, obviously, it's a comprehensive scoreline in terms of the numbers, but. The actual football itself, I don't think Australia played anywhere near their best. And, you know, if it was a not, – not to knock the cities because I mentioned that they've been my favourite team to follow for this World Cup, but if it was a, a better opposition, they might have taken some advantage out of Australia's uh, lack of, uh, I suppose, uh, not not the drive or desire, but just they didn't go for the throat. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we saw a couple of tries there from um, Cedars' errors – 
it just looked, you know, I don't know. It just it just didn't look polished. I mean, it's something that we, they don't have to worry too much about. It's the Australia's the sort of team that will click into gear in all likelihood. It's um, it's a pity in a way that the draw works out that Australia would ne- was never going to get to meet New Zealand in the final unless there had have been um, a loss from one from of the two, yeah team. to finish in the second one of their pools. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's unfortunate that that uh, really the the two teams that are the top two teams in rugby league weren't seeded in such a way to be able to clash in the final. But I guess that um, given that the the uh, England is the home of this World Cup, uh, that they they've given them that opportunity for them to qualify into the finals. They've certainly had the they certainly got the easier path, although. Um, we were going to talk about uh, any any sort of surprises or what have you. I'm continuing my theme that Papua New Guinea has been my favourite team to watch in this World Cup because I think they look very well coached. They play to their strengths. They have specialists in in uh, the the halves, even though they aren't NRL regular halves. They are specialists. I just like the way they are organised. I, I I just think that they look like a a very, very capable rugby league team. And I am with you on this one, 60s. I, I love the Kumuls. I had the chance to call one of their games early this year. I do a regular spot on Papua New Guinea and Radio, and, and I can tell you that they are absolutely pumped up there. Huge game up against England, and it'll be a test, but I think they are capable of producing an upset. They played England in the quarterfinals in the last World Cup, so they'll be hungry for a bit of redemption, a bit of revenge. And just touching on the Australia-Lebanon result, I, I agree with uh, 40s there that Leban- the Lebanese Cedars, they've been great to watch this tournament. You know, it was a decent second half. They put up a bit of a fight, you know, 18 points to four in that second half. And I wasn't too convinced that with Cleary at halfback, I've been a strong advocate for him being the starting half throughout the whole tournament. And that, that was my view. But I just felt like he was not as polished and as... I don't know, impressive as I expected. Is he a big big game player? There still are questions around that. We saw in State of Origin this year that he failed to really step up and take the game by the throat in Game 3. Yes, he's won a couple of premierships, but he's been surrounded by a, a brilliant team as well. So, yeah, I, look, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Mal goes for the, for the semi, whether he goes with Cleary in the halves, whether he puts Cherry Evans there, plays Cleary off the bench. I'm not too sure. But, yeah, I, I did give the Cedars a bit of a chance heading into this game as well. I was expecting them to to maybe challenge Australia a little bit more. And given the way that the Cedars played against New Zealand in the early part of the tournament, I gave the Cedars a genuine chance this morning. But it is what it is. Great tournament. And uh, as as we mentioned, now the focus turns to the other three great quarterfinals. Yeah, and, and just on the surprise players, when um, uh, we were talking just then about uh, Papua New Guinea, um, uh, Ipape. Yes, it is, went up oh, yeah. he, he has been. He, he has been probably the standout surprise players. I, I wrote in my bumpers up about um, the surprise players of this uh, this World Cup, and um, he's probably the he's probably the standout there. And I know he's going to be playing. He was playing second division Lane English Leopards. rugby league with Lee Lee, Lee this Leopards, year, and yeah. he's. Uh, they've got earned promotion, so he's going to be in the Super League this year. But, yeah, what a revelation he's been. Yeah, so England versus PNG, that kicks off 1.30 a.m. Uh, what will be tonight, actually, the bridging between Saturday and Sunday. England, they've sort of come out and they're, they're starting to talk the talk, boys. Um, their coach uh, and coaching staff are sort of saying that this is their World Cup to lose. Um, big words. I know they're the host nation, but you know Australia and New Zealand aren't going to roll over. Uh, but first, I've got to get past the Kumuls, PNG, Alex Johnston, Nene McDonald, Justin Olam. I mean, the halves that we spoke about at 60s, not um, household names, but they've done a great job. Kyle Laybutt and Lachlan Lamb, just having two players that know how to play six and seven respectively has been huge for PNG. Uh, in the front row, we already mentioned Ipape, Wellington, Albert. Uh, and then sort of the, the known names for PNG start to fade away from there. But on the flip side, Probably the biggest benefit that PNG has in their pocket right now is the uh, uh, the is it the Hunters in the yes. Q Cup uh, and the fact that these boys, to, in some capacity, have been playing together for the entire season. So 
this is probably one of the few games you can look at and maybe think of there's a boil over coming. England are going to be yeah. the, like the massive favourites at 105 to PNG's $10 outsider status. But I think this one and maybe the last game, which we'll preview shortly, but this, this is one of the games where there could be, if not an upset, maybe a bit of a contest here. Well, they have beaten them before. And um, with, with what Spiro said before in terms of the disappointment um, or perhaps the reasons for the disappointment behind Leary's performance is that he's there's not as much familiarity with the, with all the players that are around him. I think he's a player that thrives on understanding the players that he's playing alongside at, at Penrith. I, look, I think he's a quality halfback, mm-hmm. but I think part of that the, that quality is, is built in understanding the strengths and weaknesses of those that are around him. And I think when he's thrust into these representative games, um, I'm not sure that playing alongside so many unfamiliar faces puts him in the best possible light. Now, um, when it comes to PNG, as you just said, they have a lot of familiarity with each other and have been um, – those halves have played together for a while as well, even though they're not together in the uh, in the Hunters team. So, look, there's a lot to be said. Spiro, you're going to be um, dashing off soon to appear on PNG Radio mm-hmm. Uh, mm. This morning, um, any any comments from you there about the the Kumul's chances? Oh, I give him a big chance, and genuinely, not because I like Papua New Guinea or I have a, a connection or affiliation with their team or or uh, with the the radio station up there. They've got a great coaching staff, Stanley Tepend, uh, who's been up in the PNG system for a very long time. This is his first World Cup, but you've got Shane Flanagan as his. Uh, assistant, as if you like, or coaching director. So Flan has had a lot of big game experience. As you mentioned, the players are familiar with themselves. They play a really hard style of football. And I think defensively, they're really strong. And anyone that's played against the Kumul says the day after the game, you are sore. You are hurting. You're in pain. You know, I spoke to Darren Lockyer about it up at Suncorp um, a couple of weeks ago during the PM's 13 matches. And he said, look, it's always hard when you play the Kumuls because they are ruthless in defense. They are so strong and they come at you a million miles an hour. So I think they're going to do this uh, tomorrow morning against England. The, the Poms haven't had uh, an, a hard run. They haven't come up against any difficult teams. They've played very easy teams. Samoa, they thrashed them. Uh, you know, France, they beat them well, and Greece, they thrashed them. So they have not been tested. This is a real test for them. And if they're not careful, they might get a, a bit of a shock here. The Kumuls come out really strong and 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 play a hard style of football and might get the win. So I, I'm going to back the Kumuls in. I reckon Papua New Guinea are a good chance, and I really like their, their style of football and, and this team. Mm. Now, uh, just before you uh, leave us, you mentioned there uh, Shane Flanagan. So I was really keen to get your takes on this before you – before you go, um, he's probably surprised us a bit by signing on as an assistant mm. coach at Manly. Uh, yeah. what, what, what's what's your thoughts on that, um, Spiro? It's an interesting one. Um, my take is that, you know, it's great. Flano wants to coach. I know that he wants to coach, and this is an opportunity that's presented itself in terms of the clause in the contract that gives him the chance uh, in the three years that he's signed on at Manly to take a head coaching gig. If that comes up, that works in his favour. And I think that's ultimately what he wants. He may, I think that probably he needed to, like the best thing would have been to wait at the Dragons to become the head coach. I don't think Anthony Griffin will last. But I guess this clause makes sense because he can start at Manly and just see what comes of it. So, you know, it's great. He's going to add a lot to their side. I think personally he'd be a better head coach at Manly than bringing Anthony Seabold in. Seabold doesn't have that track record. You know, Flano has a, a great history of going to clubs and, you know, not having a lot to work with, but being able to really uh, develop a side, bring young guys through the ranks um, and and produce brilliant results. So I'm really happy for Shane. It'll mean that his media commitments will probably be stripped back just a little bit. But my take, uh, honestly, is he probably uh, should have waited just for a head coaching gig to come up. But, Regardless, the clause in his contract works in his favour and I think he'll end up being a head coach in the NRL in the next 12 to 18 months. Well, mate, look, uh, we'll, we unfortunately, we have to let you go at this stage because you have your um, radio commitments with uh, PNG. Um, 
enjoy your your time on PNG Radio with them. And um, what's the station that you work with uh, up there, mate? So it's FM 100. Now, I've told them to push it back just a little bit so we can maybe uh-huh. jump in a previews of the, the final qualifiers. So mm-hmm. I could, I've got probably another 10 minutes on well, the clock. Let's, so, smash, let's uh, smash them out Beautiful. There. I yeah. want to make sure we go through through the uh, the remaining matches, of course. But yeah. that's my take on Flano. I don't, I don't know if that was clear cut enough. But no, no. I... Yeah, it's, uh, you know. It's good for him, but I think he's got to be a head coach, and he probably should have been given the head coaching gig at Manly. Well, yes, yeah, that, that's, so, that's um, an entirely different thing in terms of like the the player, the player, the coaches that they're selected, and it's probably not unfair too. Yeah. Mm. So, so we've uh, we we come to New Zealand and yes. and Fiji six thirty a.m. on the tomorrow morning. So if you're up early, or if you're somehow still up from the uh, quarterfinal two between uh, PNG and England. You're going to have uh, the Kiwis pitted up against the Barty. Uh, yeah, this mm. this one, New Zealand, they're unbackable favourites here. Dollar one to the Fijis, uh, twenty one dollars. You got Manu versus Taruva at fullback. Sivo versus Mortalo on one wing. Uh, you got Naguama and Valemi against Nikora and uh, Isaac Liu. That can't be right. Isaac Liu in the centres. They're they're having a no way. Well, the the rest of the team, the way they've lined up. It makes sense. So who knows? I think that could be correct. Wow. So they've, they've, they've picked <laughs> a, a, essentially a lock forward and an edge forward in the centres. Wow. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a surprise. But yeah, this is – the Kiwis going to be favourites in this game, boys. Uh, Fiji, they, they sort of found their groove after losing to Australia in the first uh, pool round. But have they got enough juice in the tank to challenge the Kiwis? Oh, I think they'll find it tough. I think it's going to be a big ask. But – once again, as I said about England not being tested and not having a, a real hard matchup so far this World Cup, the same goes with New Zealand. They were tested a little bit against Lebanon. That was a tight game. But I, I think that this will be closer than expected. The Fijians will dig deep. But they're just lacking a bit of the class that the Kiwis have in their side, especially in the halves. I mean, you know, Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes, a, a great combo. I think they're really going to turn it on. Uh, Jerome Hughes was brilliant in uh, the Kiwis match last week against Ireland. He was. And I think he'll back up He'll back up with a really good performance uh, tomorrow morning up against the Fijian sides. they got Henry uh, Raiwalui yep. and Brandon Wakeham in the halves. So not really first graders, not really notable. So they're going to struggle. Um, you know, they've got a, a decent forward pack with, you, you know, Viliami Kikau and Api Korosau, uh, Siwa Wong. Uh, who is another player that is coming through the ranks at the Roosters. It's going to be a first grader and a good player into the future. But, you know, I just feel that they lack probably the big names that the Kiwis have, and I think New Zealand get the job done in that clash. Yeah, and it, and it really is all about the halves there. That um, it's The class difference is just far too dramatic for mine to, um, to even consider uh, Fiji getting within Kui of New Zealand. So um, I actually think it's going to be over a half century difference in the points. Would not be so high sixties. Unfortunately, there I think um, un- until Fiji can to de- can develop halves, I think this is going to be about as good as they get. And, um, and and really, it's the to an extent, it's the same with the Pacific nations that, uh, and this is why I think uh, PNG continues to do well because although individually those players in the halves of PNG aren't outstanding, they, they are specialists who know their roles. And we just see the um, Pacific nations having to manufacture people as halves far too often. So, and that's exactly what Fiji's done there because, uh, um, Henry Ravalui, he's he's been around for, oh, geez, forty. To help me out here because he was running around. He for was with Wenty for oh my goodness, sixties. Like we're we're going back the better part of a decade. I want to say it, it feels like it. Yeah, he's been with Wente, yeah. he was with Wenty in both uh, Cup and uh, Ron Massey capacities for a thirty-three long, years old, long time. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So that actually fits that timeline. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and it, it, unfortunately for Fiji, he's just been a. I say unfortunately, it's like Henry's a bad bloke, but they just—he's been a mainstay of their playmaking core for that entire period. They just haven't been able to find a seven or a six to take control of the team. Yeah. Well, they had—they had some okay guys play at the mid-year test. 
this guy, Massima. Now, I believe he plays for Western Suburbs, uh, potentially New South Wales Cup. But injuries have been crucial, have been detrimental for this Fijian team. They lost um, uh, Ravalawa to injury. And they lost a couple of others as well. So, yeah, they, they had this really good young bloke, uh, as I said, Natani Massima. Playing, he's a, you know playing Ron Massey as well, but he was a young you know young player coming through the ranks. You know a better option than I don't know. I haven't really seen much of Henry, but you know maybe they need to look at a younger option heading into the next World Cup. Yeah, but now this this is that's this is really the, the prelude to yeah, the quarterfinals the that final, I think we're all waiting the on. The final quarterfinal, mm. the one that takes place between Sunday and Monday, one thirty a.m. on Sunday night or Monday morning, depending on how you want to view it. The Mate Ma Tonga up against the Toa Samoa, this is the big one. This is the the one on paper that is going to be a barn burner. The two rising Pacifica forces, uh, Tonga coming to this game, favourites, understandably, they've got the better sort of track record when it comes to International Rugby League. They enter as a sixty favourite to Samoa's 2.35. But just look at these matchup boys. You've got Will Hopwadi up against the young gun, Joseph Swali'i. You've got Tupo and Katoa up against Taewon May and Brian To'o. Will Penasini, the Parramatta young gun, He's partnering up with uh, Moses Sully to take on Stephen Crichton and currently named Tim Laffey in the halves. There's your boy, Isaiah Katoa there, Spiro. You've got Tui Lola here partnering him versus Luai and Milford. Then the Ford Packs, Fanua Blake, uh, Fodawaka, Felice Kafusi, Kaloa Matangi and Captain Jason Taumalolo taking on our boy, Junior Barlow, who's got the C next to his name, uh, Royce Hunt, Liggy Sow, Jaden Sua and uh, Oregon Kafusi, who's now a Cronulla Shark. Uh, just... Big boys in the starting pack, big boys on the bench. Uh, you've got Havili, Totoa, Murdoch Masilla, Tawatawa Moan is going to be the utility for the Tongans on the uh, flip side. Interesting decision by the Samoans. They're going to put one of their gun forwards in Josh Papali on the bench, looking to win that second rotation. He's joined there by the sort of enforcer or firebrand Spencer Lenu, Martin Tapau, and then the utility Chanel Harris Tavita. You've got uh, Takiaho and Talangi as the 18th men for each team. Uh, Dave Fafita not playing as well, by the way. It's interesting. And Ken Sio for mm. Premier Real, also on the reserves. But wow, th- this is a game that on paper should be an absolute barn burner. And we sort of, we had our question marks about both teams. They had their moments early in the pool rounds where they looked out of sorts. Samoa got absolutely wiped by England. Tonga sort of started slowly in their wins against some of the other teams, but they finished strongly in round three. And now they're primed for a huge winner-takes-all quarterfinal. It's uh, going to be a blockbuster. Can't wait for Monday morning. I know it's an odd time, one thirty a.m., but I think a lot of people are going to either stay up or catch a couple hours of sleep and wake up for this match. And the matchups across the park, you just went through 40. You know, so interesting to see how these two teams will line up. I'm so, a bit surprised that Tonga are the favourites because you look at Samoa, they've got a lot of Penrith Panthers in there. They've played a few good games, building into some nice form. And a few interesting selections on the part of the Tongan team, Mate Matonga, David Fafeda and Takiyaho, both not playing this match. This is a do-or-die contest. You need your best team in there. So a little bit questionable, but uh, I think, you know, regardless, two really good outfits. I think Samoa are going to win. It's a real shame that one of these teams has to bow out after, you know, that that match. But uh, I think Samoa are going to be too good, too much class and too much big game experience and uh, Tonga bow out. But, yeah, great to see these two Pacific nations going toe-to-toe in a, a quarterfinal. Yeah, uh, and for me, it's it's really a case of with both of these teams, it's almost like versus like mm-hmm. in that in that I think the, the halves sort of cancel each other out there. They're, uh, as I said, I, I still don't think that they are – um, the finished product that they need to be in the halves, both of these teams, uh, to compete for the for the title, for a World Cup title. However, when they're playing each other, man, that that it brings a whole different dimension into the game. I'm just looking forward to the collisions. Um, I don't care who wins it. <laughs> I think I, I'm I think I'm on board with Spiro there. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Samoa to take this game out. Um, but yeah, it should, should be an absolute ripper of a game that will um, bring a lot of enjoyment to people uh, watching it. Yeah, it's hard to go against them, if only just because of some of the selections for the Tongans, a little bit head scratching. Takiyaho, and especially Dave Fafita, 
Uh, you, you know, you think even if it's just on the bench, there'd be a little niche for him to come in and be a game wrecker. But for whatever reason, whether he's banged up or not, I'm not sure. Uh, he's not in there. So it might just give the Samoans the edge, especially with the way they've structured their bench. Having Papali'i and Lenu alongside Tapau as well can really take control of the game in that second rotation. Yeah, yeah. I think that is I think that is an important factor there, that um, they'll be able to uh, continue the rage mm. off the bench. Mm. And, and that is so important in, in rugby league, especially in games at this level. Just maintain the rage. Uh, as as the interchanges start to happen, and that's probably where they'll start to get the ascendancy. For sure, for sure, it's a bit of an odd selection. I'm not too sure about Takiyaho and Fafita not being there because you're going to lack that punch on second rotation because some will have Papali'i, Lenu, and Tapao who all are you know starting forwards at their clubs really, and you know you look at uh, Tonga Havili who's you know, a hooker, utility, Talatau Moan, utility, Tevita Totola's solid, Ben Murdoch, Masilla. Yeah, I mean, he's past his best. So a few unusual decisions. I don't know whether Fafida and Takiyaho carrying injuries, but had they been on the bench, I think uh, I'd probably mm, not lean towards Tonga, but I'd give him a bit more of a chance. But I think Samoa will win this match. Yep, yep. So um, uh, that pretty much wraps up the uh, what's happening with the men's. Um, just uh, touching on the women's, what, what um, any any main takes from the first round of pool matches from the women's so, uh, games? Results, England, too good for Brazil, 72-4. to four. PNG, they fought a closer game against Canada, but they prevailed 34-12. to 12. Kiwi shut out France, 46-0. Australia shut out the Cook Islands with a massive 74-0. to nil. And uh, that's the only, only games played thus far because that's the conclusion of round one. Uh, but I suppose most notably boys... Our girls featuring in the Australian team, you've got Kennedy Charrington, Smyma Taufa. What a shock. I believe that Smyma went for over 200 metres on the ground. That that never happens, mm. boys. She, she, she never absolutely dominates the middle of the um, field. Yeah, I, I think they were a couple of performances we've come to expect from our Parramatta girls. You had Kennedy bringing all that uh, energy and in-your-face action that she, that she brings into um, the Parramatta Eels games. In the NRLW, as soon as she was on the field, the opposition knew she was out there. Samima, what a machine. What an absolute yeah. machine she is. She is the definition of built different, isn't she? Just <laughs> absolute beast. They're going to dominate. They're going to dominate the Aussies uh, this tournament. I think they're a shoe in. They're going to win it. You know, you look at their class, you know, they have a, a full team of first graders. New Zealand, they're just shy of that. I mean, they've got a lot of NRLW players, but Australia, too good. Great to see Kennedy as well, the emotion yeah, uh, during yeah. the anthems. You know, there's been a lot of questions around her allegiance and she made that public on social media after her debut match for Australia, but for the Gillaroos. But, you know, she is an Aussie through and through. She was given her opportunities here. She played her junior footy here and she pioneered the game over in WA, then came to Western Sydney, uh, has been a, a really important part of the puzzle at uh, the Eels in the first two seasons at NRLW. And they talk about Jerome Luai being the chief energy officer at the Penrith Panthers or the chief energy officer in the NRL. I think Kennedy Charrington is the chief energy officer of the NRLW. Mm-hmm. She, uh, you know, she's always so passionate about what she does, and and that's reflected on the field, especially in the the most recent NRLW season and the World Cup. You can see the passion, the heart. She wears a heart on her sleeve, and and it's great to see her uh, dominating on the field. I thought, yeah, we were fortunate to have. Kennedy as uh, our first Eels NRLW guest on the podcast and and we'd planned for a, a chat that might have lasted about three quarters of an hour and uh, we certainly went for a lot longer. Not that that's unusual, but man, she was just so entertaining. It, it, we we didn't want we didn't want our uh, our chat with her to end. Uh, I've mentioned before I was near Kennedy on that. Um, on the NRL uh, an NRLW fan day that was uh, post-grand final, the day after the grand final. I was near her when she got her phone call from uh, uh, informing her that she'd been selected in the Gillaroos squad and the emotion that came over her immediately, like, like she just burst into tears as, as she was getting the phone call and we had the chance to talk to her just after she took that phone call and that just meant the world to her being selected for Australia. As she said, she she is uh, proudly of uh, Maori heritage, 
but also a very proudly yeah. an Australian player. She handled that. So, uh, I wouldn't say it was an accusation, but just the query about her heritage and her allegiances beautifully. You know, talking. You know, she deferred the due respect that she has to her you know, family heritage when it comes to the Maori heritage. But like you said, 60s and, and Spiro, her role as an Australian has literally led her here to represent the country. Everything she's done rugby league in Australia carried her down this path. Yeah, and and, and I, look, I couldn't be prouder of the fact that she's um, not only is she has she done so well for herself, but I think she just continues to be a fine ambassador for the Parramatta yeah. Reels. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very proud that she's a Parramatta player. So, um, but yeah, just in in regard to these first round matches, look, I I, I have to say that um, I just know nothing about how Brazil qualified for <laughs> for this. And and to be honest, I, I I really think I don't know what level of coaching assistance they are getting in rugby league, but you know if they're as a developing nation, they could really do with some assistance from Australian coaches because um, I would have hated to have seen the sort of score that Australia might have put on them. Um, it, you know, it was a big enough blowout against England. But I thought England fumbled and bumbled their way a little bit to that that big scoreline over Brazil. So um, yeah, it's um, a little bit strange that they qualified and and we don't have um, some Pacific Nations mm-hmm. teams that um, that are there instead. So um, yeah, but all, all all power to them as a developing nation. I think I said before in the in my bumpers up. Um, when it came to the Rugby Union World Cup, uh, Japan were getting cricket scores put on them for many years, and now they are a genuine player on the world stage in international rugby league. So um, the Rugby League World Cup is doing its job for giving that profile to a sport that's developing in each of the each of those countries. Yeah, and they've all, they've automatically qualified for the 2025 World Cup, which is a little bit odd as well. I don't even know if they actually won a game, guys, to actually qualify for some reason. There was this weird thing that I saw going around. They didn't win a game. They lost a game against the T1 Nation, but that meant... So, very confusing. Uh, but I would have loved to see Tonga there. You know, we saw them early this year play across the ditch uh, as a curtain raiser to the, uh, the men's New Zealand v. Tonga game. And there are a few first graders there. Um, I know uh, Tiana Penatani's sister, I believe, was in the fold. Uh, Hopawadi, uh, Pani Hopawadi, who plays for the Roosters in the NRLW. Jim Dimmick's daughter was there as well. So having a nation like that there would be a lot more beneficial than having someone like Brazil get lapped. But uh, I'm sure at the next World Cup, there'll be more teams and, and we'll see more of that uh, in the Pacific nations as well. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, now, just with... Wrapping up the Rugby League World Cup, just a couple of things. Um, West Tigers, they have been very, very. Oh, I, I don't know whether it's them being open or the or the uh, journos have got good sources, but every week there's players touted uh, that are being targeted by the West Tigers. Who you, you hear all about their approaches. It, it started with Munster towards the end of the season. It's gone into. Uh, Moses and Dylan Brown, and we've talked about that, and and um, and and now they're um, they're they're continuing on with their um, targeting of uh, of players. Is this a good thing for West Tigers, or, or if they don't get anyone, is it a bad thing? You know, like I, I'm seeing it as a bit of a PR machine in uh, in how it's how it's been unfolding, but. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm a bit harsh in that. Um, look, my take on just quickly on Mitch and Dylan or, you know, Mitch possibly going there, I, I disagree. I think they'll both stay put at Parramatta. They're happy with where they are. They had a really good season. They're combining well, and I think they'll both sign good long-term deals in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, or, you know, in the, in the uh, short-term future. In terms of the Tigers, uh, all power to them. I mean, they've recruited really well. Charlie Staines, Isaiah Papali'i, Api Corazel, all grand final players. They're going to make a big difference. Uh, John Bateman, if he does end up coming, he'll be a huge boost to their forward stocks. Now, I can reveal some exclusive detail. 
uh, to the Cumberland throw that there will be a signing uh, announced possibly this week or next week for the West Tigers. And it's not Mitch. It's not John Bateman. It is a former Eels player. I can't reveal any names, but I've got very, very good mail that a former Eel player will be signing with the West Tigers uh, as soon as next week. And uh, once again, I think another good signing uh, for the West Tigers. So keep your eyes out for that. So some exclusive content. The West Tigers will be signing a former Eels player in the next week or so. Can't reveal any names at this point, but it will be a good pickup for uh, uh, the, uh, the Tigers. Well, that's going to have me scratching my head now. I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be putting forward some ideas about who that might be as Forty and I sort of d- discuss a few bits and pieces. So, um, thanks for that, mate. That's a no that's, worries. That's a real juicy that's way. A real that's a great little for all uh, the supporters out there. Carrot on the stick approach uh, to, to leave our fans for the next podcast. I love it, Spiro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, we will verify this uh, once it's announced in the next week's podcast. If it's announced by them, but. Just throwing a little bit of bait out there that there will be a former Eel signing with the West Tigers in the coming days. I, I think the deal's already done. I think he's already signed, but it hasn't been confirmed. So uh, let the guessing game begin. Let the guessing game begin. Yeah. I, might, I think that's a, a good way to uh, to leave you guys. Mate, really. Nice hanging. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's probably a, a, great, a great spot to finish on. But just before we go, Forty put out a yep. post during the week on um, – um, some rookies to keep an eye on. He uh, just to reiterate again, this wasn't meant to be an exhaustive uh, look at it. We haven't. We're not going to touch on. Forty's not going to touch on the Harold Matts boys because of the the amount of churn that you get to the Harold Matts team with that that age group and and also the fact that we're we're learning about some of those players as they're coming in. So it's a bit unfair to identify too many uh, there, but. Um, uh, yeah, we've had a we've had quite a, a big response to the um, uh, to that first post going up, and I'm sure we're going to have even more conjecture as his next post will dive into the uh, jersey flag and New South Wales Cup uh, pathways players to keep an eye on, and it might even be uh, a bit of conjecture about who might get an NRL debut from the the pathways. So, uh, if anyone out there hasn't been hasn't read that, uh, please dig in and and. Have a have a read of Forty's uh, rookie picks. Very good. Sounds exciting. I'll be uh, I'll be having a read of that as soon as we jump off, or as soon as I jump off with um, PNG Radio very soon. All right, boys. That's a beautiful place to wrap it up. I think there's probably some more NRL news we can discuss, but it also can uh, happily wait to another instalment of the podcast. It's been a relatively slow news week, honestly, outside of the West Tigers stuff. I mean, there's Newcastle talking about putting Ponga in the halves and. Uh, there was a bit of talk about clubs chasing Dylan and Moses, but it's to be expected given that it's now past November 1. Hopefully by this time next week, the Eels might have locked up one or both of their playmakers and we can celebrate that. But until then, thanks for stopping by give us a listen. We'll catch you guys in the next episode of The Tip Sheet. Go you Eels.